make it better. Hello everyone, Stakuyi here, and welcome back to the podcast, my hoes. And I'm Gabby. Now, welcome back. As I said, uh, we already plugged Patreon last time. I want to go ahead and explain a little bit about what it is that we're doing. As you have probably noticed, if you somehow haven't already, uh, there are ads on our podcast now, which is a great thing to help us grow and develop. But simultaneously, if you are looking for an ad-free podcast experience, then that is something that you are going to be able to get by subscribing to, well, our Patreon. Uh, so if you subscribe, then not only are you going to be getting an ad-free experience, but also depending on the tiers, which as of this date, December 19th, 2021, we are going to be going in and revamping and adding and just completely changing that around. If you already are a patron, hey, congratulations. Fantastic. If you're not, well, hey, you know what you're missing in the first place. Anyway, Gabby, do you remember what we talked about last time? Uh, ferrets? Yes, we talked about ferrets. Now, to do a completely 180 degree difference, let's talk about laws. Ferret laws. No, just laws. Okay. Though, not gonna lie, I mean, animals are related to at least one part of this here, but no, this is this is more so just um, laws around the world that have a very distinct origin, like how it is that they came to be. And they're weird ones. They're ones that at first, when you're looking at them, you wouldn't expect that to be real. And then even when you do like understand, okay, this is real, you may not know why that is the case. I, I got to ask you this. You were obviously born in Trinidad. Yeah. Do you have any weird laws? Like here in Kentucky, I'll just give you one off the bat. It is illegal to carry an ice cream cone in your back pocket. I knew that one. I don't know any weird laws in Trinidad. I mean, I really have no clue. <sighs> We need to look some up for that there. That that sounds like it'd be fun. For those of you as just a little tidbit for it here, if you're not in Kentucky, the reason behind the law of it is illegal to carry an ice cream cone in your back pocket is because Kentucky is very prominent uh, for horses and horse racing and that kind of thing. And so a technique that some people used to use in order to steal horses was that they would walk by the fences with an ice cream cone in their back pocket, like vanilla or raspberry or something. And horses would think that oh my god that that's amazing that they would love it and they would follow the people around so that person would lead them to basically a gate and then just steal them and that's where that whole thing came about and that is why that is illegal no one is stealing horses like that anymore i think we can get rid of that law i mean depending on the horse like some of those are worth some serious money i'm not like you could have a horse that you could buy for a thousand dollars and then you could have a horse that you'd have to pay over $300,000 to get, depending on its pedigree. I don't think anyone is buying a horse for $1,000. Like, there's no one selling a horse for $1,000. No, there are. I'm sure. We could go on to eBay right now. Uh, eBay, I looked. Craigslist. Wait, what do you mean you've looked? I wanted a horse. Oh, my God. You are, we've already spent so much for our daughter for Christmas. We are not buying her a horse. She is two. Ah. Uh, anyway. To get into the meat of this podcast for it here, or should I say the gum of it. You know, that was a horrible pun. You don't, you don't have no. to laugh stuff in the first place. Singapore and gum. Now, I'm sure that many of you, if this is probably one of the first kind of semi-popular one that you know just off the, on the internet. And that is that back in 1992, Singapore made the buying, selling, and manufacturing and consumption of chewing gum illegal. You were not allowed to do anything with gum. Why? Well, that is exactly what we were getting into. Many people know that it happened, but they don't understand why. And that's what I love the history of for this. 
So when Singapore became independent back in 1965, this was a, mind you, and still is, a very tiny country, and it does not have any real natural resources. Like, the only thing that makes Singapore a desirable location is its trade proximity. Like, it is a perfect entry port for international trade. So Lee Kuan Yew, which was the country's first prime minister, he came up with a plan. And this hinged on making the city-state a first world oasis in a third world region. And that was the quote, like that was what it is that he wanted to do. And I mean, that's because Singapore has this whole complicated history where after independence, they experienced a lot of problems. I mean, at first they were incorporated into Malaysia. Like there was this federation they had and then Singapore got kicked out. That's a whole other story in and of itself. It still has controversy to this day, but that is a thing. Now, much of the city state's 3 million people were unemployed, more than two-thirds of its population were living in the slums and squatter settlements that were on the city's fringes. The territory itself was sandwiched between two large and, by that point, unfriendly states in the form of Malaysia and Indonesia. As I said, Singapore had just been kicked out of Malaysia, so that, that of course, there's going to be some bad blood between them. Now, Singapore lacked natural resources. It didn't really have good sanitation. It had poor infrastructure, and it really didn't have much of a water supply. It was really one of the worst positions that you could possibly be in at that time. What it did have was trade. So it's the solution that they came up with was to heavily globalize. So in order to attract investors, Singapore had to create an environment that was A, safe, B, corruption-free, and C, lower in taxation, you know, something to really attract international business. So to make this feasible, the citizens of the country had to, I, I say the citizens of the country, the government had to suspend many of the freedoms of the citizenry in order to put in place a more autocratic government so that they could control everything. They didn't want to give the people freedom because they couldn't risk something stupid or bad happening. They had to take complete control and make sure that everything was set. Like, I'll give you this as an example. Anyone caught conducting narcotics trade or involved in intense corruption, that was just met with the death penalty. Like, you weren't, you weren't thrown in jail for a period of 10 years or something like that. Like, no, you got caught with weed, you were executed. What? They, nothing in the form of any kind of heroin, weed, like cocaine, any, like any kind of thing associated with narcotics or anything along those lines, any kind of drug. No, completely cut off everything. Like it, it they are very, even to this day, extremely strict in this regards. Smuggling is something that you're not just punished. You're, you're I done. Executed. Yeah, yeah. That's insane. Yeah, you're absolutely done. Lee's People Action Party, the uh, the PAP, repressed all independent labor unions and consolidated what remained into a single umbrella group called the National Trade Un Union Congress, which, I mean, you can already hear from the beginning that it really just focuses on trade, which the party, like Key, it was basically him, directly controlled. Now, individuals who threatened the national, the political, or the corporate unity, well, they were quickly jailed and without really any sense of due process or anything like that. The country's draconian, but very business-friendly laws became very appealing to international investors. 
in contrast to its neighbors, where political and economic climates were unpredictable at best, Singapore was actually remarkably stable. Moreover, with the advantage, adva advantageous, yeah, I can't even speak sometimes for it here. <laughs> I know, that makes you so happy to hear. You're smiling like, man, if only that happened more often. <laughs> with its advantageous location and established port system, Singapore was an ideal place to manufacture goods. Not to mention the cheap labor from the beginning, considering that it's country's demographics. So by 1972, just seven years after independence, one quarter of Singapore's manufacturing firms were either foreign-owned or they were joint venture companies, and both the United States and Japan were major investors. As a result of Singapore's steady climate, favorable investment conditions, and the rapid expansion of the world economy that occurred from, you know, the mid-1960s going into the 70s, the country's gross domestic product experienced double-digit growth every single year. Wow. Like, this was something that good, healthy growth, like you're going to want something around four to 5%. They were like 10, 11, 12, 15, 18, like just stupidly high growth every single year. The economy was skyrocketing. Okay. So the economy looks great, right? That's awesome. But what about the city? The stability. Exactly. It's like he put all of his focus points into economy and money, money and then his stability is just poof. Yeah. Well, that's just it. They made it stable. So in focusing everything on all these draconian laws, basically no personal freedoms for any kind of individuals. It was purely focused on the economy. It was, I mean, it was a corporate economy. Like it was purely a business at that point rather than a nation. So including gum, there were many other things that were banned in order to aid in the cleanliness and this vision of perfection that Lee wanted. So that ban on gum is one of the best known aspects of life in Singapore, along with the country's laws about, say, Litter, graffiti, jaywalking, spitting, expelling excess mucus from the nose, and urinating anywhere but a toilet. You know, there's there's a lot more laws here. In fact, I, I'm going to get into that because it's this is going to be a whole other tangent. So after the context for gum itself is that after vandals had used chewing gum in order to mess with the mass rapid transit system, so like the buses, the uh, the trains, the different things like that. Like they would literally stick gum along the doors so that it would close. It would like jam and they wouldn't be able to do things properly just to, to screw with people. Like that is legit a thing that they did. So every year, more than $150,000 were being spent to literally just clean gum. Not anything else, just gum. So Singapore banned all gum substances in 1992. Now, today it's a lot more lenient. Uh, it's always been legal to bring small amounts of it, like gum into the country for your own sake. But if you if you litter with it, like if you throw that on the ground, you are being slapped with a heavy fine. So it really lightened up where like, um, for example, since 2004, as a result of the U.S.-Singapore Free Trade Agreement, pharmacists and dentists have also been allowed to sell therapeutic gum. So like think nicotine gum, that kind of thing two customers who have a medical prescription. It's medical weed, but gum. I hate that for them. Yeah. That also, mind you, includes standard sugar-free gum. So sugar-free gum is considered a medical gum for Good it. for them. Yeah. So maybe if you're diabetic or something along those lines. Like, if you litter with it, you'll still face a steep fine, though. And I'm not kidding when I say steep. 
selling gum itself, like just the process of selling it to someone, like if you brought a little bit into the country and you sold it to someone, like for a dollar, I don't know what you would sell it for, but if you did that, this can cause you to get a fine of $100,000. Is this law still in effect? Yes. In 2021? Yes. <laughs> yes. Like Singapore is awesome economically, but it's so draconian. I actually made a list of this. Like I knew that this was going to come up for it here. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to get a list of things that are also illegal in Singapore just for fun. Please tell me twerking is on that list. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, it is. <laughs> Let's go through this list now. First, annoying someone with a musical instrument. Playing an instrument in a public place. I just want to say every single toddler on earth. Okay, yeah, no, toddlers are going to be kicked <laughs> out of Singapore. That's a given. But playing an instrument in a public place in a manner that is likely to cause annoyance to any person lawfully using a public road in any public place shall be guilty of an offense with a fine up to $1,000. So basically, no, there's no street performers. Like, that's not a thing because that can be annoying. Like, that, that's... Which, I mean, in some cases, that's like, oh, cool, because... I feel kind of guilty sometimes when I walk by some and I'm like, I, I don't have any cash. I'm not going to do anything. I'm sorry. And also, I'm not sure if you, you particularly sound very good in this instance, but then I feel kind of bad. But then You I, should feel bad. You should. Some are amazing, mind you. Some are still amazing. Next thing on this, also music related, singing. If you are caught singing or uttering songs that have either obscene lyrics or obscene ballads in any public place, you will face a punishment of imprisonment for up to three months. Good. A fine or both. This is crazy. Gabby, I'm just saying don't reveal your Spotify wrapped playlist in Singapore. <laughs> it's not a good idea. Do I look like I will be going to Singapore? Probably not. No. Thank you. No. Spitting in a public place in Singapore, including coffee shops, markets, eating houses, schoolhouses, theaters, public buildings, omnibuses, or public roads, you will be slapped with a fine of up to $1,000 for just spitting. Good. Spitting is gross and no one should do it. Okay, that's not fair. Like if you like if you have to hack, like if your throat, you're like trying to hack a loogie, like it's so uncomfortable, you will get fined for that. Sometimes I want to fine you for oh that. Oh my God. And I might start. You owe me $1,000. <laughs> Don't say that after Christmas, okay? You saw, you got gifts <laughs> early. You know what you got already. Fourth thing, connecting to another user's Wi-Fi. Singapore's Computer Misuse and Cybersecurity Act defines using another person's Wi-Fi network as hacking. If you are caught doing this deed, you will be fined a whopping $10,000 and can be put in jail for three years. That's fair. So if you just literally, if you left your Wi-Fi network open, like you just had it open and someone else walks by and uses it because it's an open Wi-Fi, they can be thrown in jail. How would they know? I don't know. Maybe you're reporting your bandwidth is like super low. I don't know. It's slow. And you're trying to figure out what's going on. And they're like, oh, yeah, like 30 different people have access to your house. There's got to be some kind of stipulations for someone that is stupid enough to leave it open in the first place. Like that, that that's got to be a thing. But that's still the gist of it. But that's not the best one. The best one is urinating in a public elevator. In Singapore, some public elevators are equipped with urine detection devices that will set off an alarm and close the doors when 
any odor or urine is detected until the police arrive. Like you, it's quite literally like a game of Saw or Hunger Games or something like that. A Hunger Games. What am I thinking of? Squid Games. Squid Games. Yes. Where if if you are drunk and a little bit of urine just leaks out, you know, maybe How down your often leg. How did this that happen? I don't know. I don't know. But I, I can only assume that there have been some parties that some people have ran into some issues with. All right. So let's say you got a little urine leaking down your leg, or maybe you have like a really bad fart. Like it's a really bad fart. Would that possibly set off these elevators? Just like if you ripped one, like it's silent, it's silent, but it has the force to make the Germans declare it a war crime. I have nothing to say to that. Like, I have nothing to say to that. That it's a possibility, mind it's you. I don't not know. a possibility. It's an, I don't know what is wrong with you, but you should see a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> see these are the tangents these are the things i love though these are things i love now i think the second and then the third ones here the, these these are actually my favorite ones because not nearly as many people know about this but one of them part of this is a it's an internet meme so people know that and that is that winnie the pooh in different parts of the world in different places is illegal i knew that everyone knows that well yeah people know china a lot of people know china but they don't know how many other places there are that it's also applied to. Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, the bear. Why? Well, th that's what we're going to get into. <laughs> so as I said, there are several places all around the world where Winnie the Pooh is illegal. Some of these are more mild cases, like they just have certain restrictions, and others are outright bans. So we can start off with the really light stuff. Like, for example, Poland. Now, this became a bit of a viral thing because it happened back in 2014, and it's really not severe. It's not like what people try to frame it as, as like, oh, Poland has gotten rid of Winnie the Pooh. No, 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 no. See, back in 2014, there was this debate where local officials refused to name the mascot for this playground in this very tiny conservative town in Poland. They were looking for a mascot and they refused to name it Winnie the Pooh. They didn't want to do that. And the reason that they blocked it was that Pooh was being stated as a... Um, a bear with improper attire and dubious sexuality. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to get into that. The quote that they have in here from some of the counselors were, were, it doesn't wear underpants because it doesn't have sex. An official apparently complained about this at a council meeting. They called it a hermaphrodite. Uh, and still more, like, this is actually a quote that they have from the Croatian Times at this point here, so it's a newspaper. Officials in the small town of Tusin, and I'm probably butchering that pronunciation in the first place, in central Poland were meeting up to decide upon a new patron for a children's playground when Winnie the Pooh was brought up. But the suggestion was quickly rounded on by more conservative members. Councillor Rizard Chitsi, 46, said, The problem with the bear is that it doesn't have a complete wardrobe. It is half naked and is wholly inappropriate for children. Now, Again, mind you, from saying this, it is not the bear that is banned. Like, Poland does not ban Winnie the Pooh, like some people try to exaggerate and claim. It's that this tiny conservative town in Poland refused to name a playground after Winnie the Pooh or, like, have it be the mascot because they questioned its sexuality. That's, there's just so much to unpack there. <laughs> like, that's... There's just, it's levels to unpack it. Oh, there are. Like, we need a whole other podcast episode of me ranting to unpack <laughs> I know. that. Now, we're going to step this up a, not a notch gradually because it starts to get worse. 
So, oh god. Oh yeah, it does. It, it absolutely. Can get worse. Yeah, that was mild in comparison to anything here, and that's just a tiny town. Russia. Things started to get more severe there, and this is I would regard it as the most interesting case of Winnie the Pooh's banning because this occurred back in 2009. In a report from the Wall Street Journal's Russia Defense Ministry, placed the book like Winnie the Pooh on a list of banned material and labeled it pro-Nazi because a depiction of Pooh wearing a swastika was discovered among the personal possessions of a known political extremist. And so this logic was that if one extremist was in possession of Nazi Pooh, then the local courts concluded that it stood to reason that others may also follow suit. So to this day, Russian children cannot have access to these books without severe consequences. Like, I want you to think about this. What are they doing to the kids? What are these severe consequences? This is what, the only comparison that I can draw from this is, you know how on many places in the internet, like on Twitch, for example, uh, they removed the Pepe memes, like anything to do with the frogs, right? And that whole thing came about because there are millions, billions of different variations of Pepe the frog, right? But there are some versions that are like, Nazi, Ku Klux Klan, like all kinds of just horrible images for Pepe. So they look at these and go, oh, wow, this is a symbol that is used by extremists. So we're going to ban it. So then like the thousand people that are using it in that way can't do it. But now the million people that were using it in a completely normal way now have no access because someone decided to just completely overstep everything and ban everything. Because Nazi Pooh Bear. Ah, God. Wow. Okay. What else you got for me? (laughs) So that's Russia. Next is places, and this is going to be a multitude of it. Turkey, parts of the UK. Ironically enough, like a few very small conservative parts of America and other Muslim countries. Okay. Here's the thing. A lot of like, if we want to talk about things that are banned, we need to just look at Christianity and how they completely like overturned like Pokemon wasn't allowed and like really, really fundamentalist. Like, oh my God, there was so much. This is along those same lines. No, this is the same reason. This is why when I say parts of, this is like some very small towns are like this, but they don't actually have- The entire town. Yeah, well, they don't actually have the way to enforce it. Like for example, there's the case of this uh, tiny town in Kansas where this Baptist church was trying to do this and they were pushing for it, but they can't actually enforce or do anything like that. Like that's not a thing. However- Places that do have a much stronger, like, Muslim presence with Sharia law, they're able to do a lot more like this. And and there's distinct reasons why. Like, there's an actual justification. So in these countries, Pooh Bear found itself caught up in the more commonplace global tradition of book bannings. Swastikas are not the reason in this case, but rather godliness. And this, this is what it goes back into it. So it, like, for example, when I talk about that thing in Kansas... There's this little Baptist group down in Kansas that objected to Charlotte's Web back in 2006, and they cite like something like Winnie the Pooh as being an insult to God in public ar- arguments. And this is because it is a talking animal. Talking animals were seen as an affront, an insult to God. Okay, when I was a kid, for a little while there, we weren't allowed to have talking animals or any sort of like animal that acted in a human manner we can watch shows or read books with them so like yeah yeah no some people especially the more fundamentalist line thinking it it is still that way 
So that same concern that talking animals are a religious abomination, that landed things like Alice the Adventures in Wonderland. Like, that got it in trouble. Uh, also, of course, as we talked about, Pooh's nursery rhymes. It was banned from certain public schools in the United Kingdom unless, or say, unless, lest Jews or Muslims take offense that there is a talking pig. Because obviously the whole thing with pork is a significantly bigger deal for uh, for many of those faiths, and that is distinctly why. And you might think, oh my god, they're overreacting, no one's going to take offense to that, they're not actually going to try and remove it just because there's a talking pig. No, they people did. And that's precisely where that thinking comes from. Because a number of Muslim countries did precisely do it. The same logic that got Pooh Films banned from state-run television services in Turkey. So, like, one of the the, uh, the stations in question, it's called TRT, they briefly considered just cutting Piglet, like, from Pooh, like, or from the stories of Winnie the Pooh, out. But that would have been awful. They realized, like, hey, wait, hold on, hold on. We can't actually do that because Winnie the he's Winnie the Pooh's closest friend. Yeah. Like, it's Piglet. He is in almost every single episode multiple times for huge spans. If you cut Piglet out of the show... It would be an interesting show. It wouldn't though. make sense. Good. Like, you, like, you wouldn't make any sense. It would be so funny, though. <sighs> I'm going to try to watch an episode and just skip over Piglet and see what I can make of it. I don't even know how the hell they would actually do that. Like, they literally just plan on cutting it out. And several other cartoons that feature pigs failed to make the cut... Because of this precise reason. Like that. <laughs> it's just. It, I, I get why they would do it. I get why they would do it. It's just so incredibly stupid. And I wish that I could see an actual example of them censoring it. Yeah. And showing what they created. Because it would take a 20 minute episode and reduce it down to like five minutes. I'm pretty sure. And it would be horrible. It would just be little cartoon shorts of like Winnie the Pooh stuck in a hole or something. You know, those scenes. And then the last one on this list from Winnie the Pooh bands is China. Like, of course, it's China. And this is the one that, as I talked about, everyone knows the gist of it much in the same way like Singapore. But they may not know the context of why this is a thing. So it all started back in 2013 when China's president, Xi Jinping, he began to be compared to Winnie the Pooh. So while he was visiting the United States, he was photographed walking with Barack Obama, who at the time was president. And some people on the internet began to point that there were similarities in that photo with one of Winnie the Pooh and Tigger. So, I, like, I can't show that image because obviously this is a podcast. But if you are curious about it, internet, I recommend that you just literally type in Xi Jinping, Winnie the Pooh. And just see what pops up. And you'll see the direct comparison that I am talking about. The comparisons continued for several years. And this resulted in China taking censorship action in 2018. They scrubbed Weibo. Which is, that's the really popular social media network site in uh, in China. Of any Winnie the Pooh material. And this is believed to be one of the big reasons why Christopher Robin was denied a release in China. So that big movie. They, movies are being created right now with the specific mind of trying to appeal to the Chinese audience because it's a huge market. And many movies and games just simply aren't allowed. Like, they just ban it. It's not allowed at all. Now, it seems weird. 
people go, okay, why is that insulting? Why is it bad? Why the hell would you ban it? This doesn't make any kind of sense, right? Yeah. It's just weird. So it's an odd argument to compare that, oh, this guy looks like Winnie the Pooh. And even if you call him Winnie the Pooh, it's like Winnie the Pooh is a cute, adorable, fun character. Some people might even think that it's a compliment, like it's a friendly term of endearment. But no, it's just more that he's they're kind of mocking him physically. And there's a reason why they would ban it from that. Xi Jinping was, well, at least by the Chinese government standards, he was fairly solid in his power, like he had a firm grip on it. But since he became firm in his power, he's taken many different steps to ensure that he's probably going to be in charge of China for the rest of his life. Like he's moved on to pretty much become a dictator at this point. Like he is, he is doing everything he can to cement that. So thus... Those who oppose his seizure of control are intent on making his life worse in basically any way they can. Even if that is something is so tiny as unflatteringly comparing him to a cartoon bear. As silly as that sounds, to ban Winnie the Pooh in China, this iconic character has grown beyond its apolitical roots. It's instead become a symbol of resistance against Xi Jinping. So if you are using this bear to mock the president, then that means that you are going against China. Thus, Winnie the Pooh goes against China. Like that's that's the logic behind it. It's this really stupid jump, but within the logic of the Chinese government, it actually makes sense. Well, if you want to seek your power, you can't have people making fun of you. It's like a slippery slope into just people disrespecting you. Yeah, that's that's the idea. That is really the idea. Xi Jinping was not pleased with the comparisons. Those who criticize his rule have been happy to continue using the bear's image whenever possible, but they've then completely removed it. So at this time, there's really no end in sight for Winnie the Pooh ban to be lifted in China. Jinping was reelected as president of China in back in 2018, and he abolished the six-year term limit in the process of doing that. In other One words, leader can just abolish the limit. Okay, China has its own. China's political system is can a. Can we do that so I can become leader? Oh, you're not going to be allowed to. You can't become a citizen ever. Like that's not a thing to be allowed. Oh, I was like, talking Ch- about here. Oh, in here? No, you still wouldn't be able to do that here. I know, but if maybe they change the rules so I can be president in the first place. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. There's a whole. There's a whole lot of things that would have to happen in order to make that happen. But considering how prominent the symbol against him that Winnie the Pooh has become, it would be surprising to see if that ban ever gets lifted while he's in charge. It's probably going to stay in place. Like, this ban is going to exist, if not forever, at the very least until he dies or some kind of other massive change happens. And all of this occurred literally because of a meme. Wow. Yeah, that's the gist of it. Which, on that note, we're talking about China. And if we're going to be talking about wild, crazy laws... My next one is China, and this is going to be the final one here, but in my opinion, this is the best one. I I don't think, in, I'm going to do more episodes of this, right? There's going to be a lot more things covering weird laws around the world, but I don't think I have the ability to top this next one. I right, just I, let's hear it. Reincarnation in China is banned without the improvement of the government. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Yep, yep. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into this. China's atheist authorities have decided to play God. That is that they have banned Tibet's Buddhist monks from reincarnating without permission. 
The state administration for religious affairs said that the new regulations on reincarnation are, and I quote, an important move to institutionalize management of reincarnation. It's not exactly a new thing in history for governments to try and control aspects of people's lives, especially not China. The more totalitarian the government, China, the more they try to control. Uh, governments are beyond controlling life, though, apparently. Into death isn't exactly uncommon. This is just even a further step. Like, okay, even in some relatively liberal countries, it can still be illegal to die. That being said, the act of dying in the final process of being a living person and the reason behind those bans are legitimate, and they actually have some logic. Like, there is a distinct reason why this is the case. I'll give you the best example of one. So, this one I found is in France, where in the town of Sarpneau, it is illegal to die in the city limits unless you already have your burial plot purchased in the local cemetery. That makes sense. Because if you die, what are they going to do with the body? Well, that kind of is the logic behind it. Because the gist of it is that this town, it's a tiny town. And it's France. It's Europe. So it's old. It's very, very established. And so the cemetery is so full that the ordinance was issued back in 2008. He is quoted, the mayor is quoted as saying, offenders will be severely punished. I don't know how that is the case. The only thing I can think is, like, the offender will be punished by punishing his family. Like, we're going to fine and really punish the family for the action of you having the misfortune of dying in our town without having your burial plot picked out. But again, it makes sense because there's literally no space for it. So you already have to have it pre-purchased. But then the question is, how is it possible to control beyond death and into the next life? And... Why would China ban reincarnation? So why do you think? Where does this come from? If someone who's against the government gets reincarnated as something powerful, that could be bad. Well, actually, that's pretty damn close. Yeah, no, that's that's actually part of the justification for it. Now, mind you, there's a specific target in this case. So grading the importance of living Buddhas, the Chinese government has laid down for reincarnate living Buddhas with relatively high degree of influence, as you just said the provincial people's government will issue approval. So if you're like moderately, you know, important, like maybe this is like the equivalent, I think of saying like a priest or a a bishop, like something to where you have an important position, but it's not something incredibly high. This is something that the local provincial government will approve. But those with major influence, the state administration for religious affairs will approve, while for these extraordinary degrees of influence, the state council will approve unauthorized reincarnations will be penalized by the Chinese government. The law also stipulates that the reincarnation of living Buddhas cannot be influenced by a person or organizations outside of China. This means that the Dalai Lama will be barred from the process. So by that quote, you can probably imagine who the primary target of this is. Who? I literally just said it. It's the Dalai Lama. <laughs> I know you zone <laughs> out when listening to me sometimes. But come on. That was going to be my next guess. <laughs> you didn't make a guess in the first place. I'm sorry. Yes, the, the target of the whole thing is the Dalai Lama. Because the Dalai Lama, I'm not sure if you've actually seen the guy. 
he's getting old. Like, really old. As the Dalai Lama edges closer and closer to his ultimate demise in his current life, he's no doubt contemplating his future life. So for the last 600 years, the Dalai Lamas have been able to control their own rebirth. The Dalai Lama has specifically said that he refuses to be reincarnated in Tibet while it is under Chinese rule, which the context for that here, for those that are listening, uh, China invaded Tibet decades ago and took it over and they refuse to acknowledge Tibet as a separate country. It is no, it is China. It has always been part of China. It is China. That's a whole thing with that. And so the Dalai Lama at that point, he went into exile. The plan of the government in Beijing is to have a say on who the next Tibetan Buddhist spiritual leader is. By having a say on who the next Dalai Lama is going to be, the government is aiming at restoring full control over Tibetan Buddhists. So then you might wonder, like, what, what's the outcome of all this? Like, what, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Well, a lot of people are specul- speculating about what this means exactly. Like, China's eagerness to control not only the region of Tibet, but they're trying to control its religion, like its identity, its entity, everything about it. This could potentially result in two Dalai Lamas. One that was selected by government officials, and the other one that is actually recognized by the high lamas of the, uh, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, so I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the Gelukpa tradition and the Tibetan government. If the current Dalai Lama decides not to reincarnate this ban in China, I'm like, eh, I am butchering that here. I apologize. So as I said, if the Dalai Lama decides to not reincarnate, this ban by China on reincarnation will likely have some ability to control other Buddhists who wish to reincarnate. However, as has been pointed out by a number of people, this is a religious process. It's not a government process. It's not a political one. It's not a bureaucratic one. You can't, this is not like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy with where you can just stamp 30 different forms and congratulations, your reincarnation has been set. That makes me a little bit sad because like they invaded and then they decided to control their religion. That's been in place for thousands, hundreds, I don't know how long. Oh yeah, because the thing is, it's not even just trying to replace its religion with something else. It's even more insidious. It's something like... If you think about what the Jesuits did when they came in and started colonizing Spain, like when Spain took over uh, what is modern day Mexico and going down into South America. So a very easy tactic that they utilized in order to convert natives was that you had temples that were dedicated to specific gods. And these temples were built on top of these ziggurat like structures and you tore down the temples And you replaced them and built churches on top of them. And those churches had a patron saint that was like, let's say you had the previous resident was the god of fire or like of childbirth, like some kind of fertility thing. So you would put something up there that was like, oh, this is a church, but the church is dedicated to the patron saint of mothers, like something along those lines. And so the Jesuits did this as a kind of stopgap in order to help convert the natives gradually to Christianity. Like that was that was the goal for it here. This is something much darker because this is going, hey, hey, you know, you have this entire government or religion and belief system and identity. Yeah, we now control that. We can determine what your beliefs say. Wow. It's really smart. So honestly... Cheers to whoever 
thought that up. I just don't understand how people would buy into it, but you got to think if if you have a state-run education system and it's continuously drilled into your people over the decades, like you've seen, they have all these different things with these concentration camps and everything throughout China. Like it's, there's a lot of videos and podcasts and different things that I could cover in that regards, things that I probably couldn't talk about on TikTok specifically because of A, how brutal they are in the first place. Uh, China, not TikTok. I don't want to give that impression. <laughs> that could come out so bad, but you get what it is that I mean. There's a lot of things that we're going to be talking about on podcasts here in the future that are going to be far more crazy and brutal and everything. Like we can talk about the horrors of history. We can talk about badasses and the crazy things that they've done. In fact, this next week, I think that we're going to be going and tackling uh, badasses of history. But at this point, we've reached the end of laws, at least for the ones that I gathered today. Do you have any fun facts? Well, the fun facts I pretty much listed throughout here in the first place. The I didn't get a number of fun facts here for laws, specifically because I wanted to be able to develop the history of going into more laws. Like I gave it at the beginning with here, the one for Kentucky. So you know what? I, I will do some. I'll do some off the top of my head just for other laws that are here in the United States and other places and things that I've covered here in the past if you've seen anything on my TikTok channel. So fun fact and fun little uh, quick laws for it here. In North Carolina, if you and a person, like let's say you and I weren't married, like we were boyfriend, girlfriend, something along those lines. If we checked into ho- into a hotel together, that is considered a common law marriage. Wow. So yeah, that, that, that is the thing. Uh, there is a town, which I cannot recall exactly the name of for it here, but it's in the United Kingdom, so they're in England. And this town is something that, like Kentucky, is famous for horse racing. And in it, it is illegal to go outside if you have a cold. Because Good. Good. They, they wanted to protect the horse racing industry. And so you couldn't do anything that could potentially give a disease to a horse. That's smart. Speaking of England, and this is another case of a weird case of, um, I'm going to call it an extrajudicial killing, but the weird thing is that it was an actual judicial killing. There was a case back during the Napoleonic Wars where a monkey was hung for being a spy for the French. I remember this one, actually. You spoke about it on stream. Yeah. So basically the gist of it, for those of you who are listening, is that uh, you had this tiny English town that a ship French had crashed off the shore of uh it sank and one of the only things to survive was a monkey that made it to shore and the people that discovered it saw it in a french sailor's uniform and determined that this must be a french spy so they held a trial for it and then they hung it and that is that that is an actual thing i don't know how fun of a fact this is it's more just like a fact that uh, was not very fun for the monkey. But with that, I think that we are going to end today's podcast. Thank you for listening. Goodbye, my hoes, and I will see you next time. Bye-bye.